Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here on uh, as we wind down toward uh, fall. Guys, you know we're recording this a day later than we normally are, and it's because, well, we were you know a little busy here and there. Um, you know, and you know we have we have lives and stuff. I mean, mostly for mm-hmm. the most part, right? You speak, for, speak for yourself, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Fair point. Um, Eric, you were at the Magic Game, seeing the rebirth of the franchise and the return to stardom of Markel Fultz. That's right, playoff bay fever. <clears throat> Orlando right. Magic Town is back. <laughs> you better, you better buy your tickets now. Um, Murph, uh, you as you as I'm sure uh, uh, you had. What, what were you doing? Uh, trying to figure <laughs> out mathematically, like how the Houston Astros could lose the first two at home to Washington. Exactly right, Jeff. I did not go anywhere this week. Certainly was not anywhere near the UCF campus. Uh, I just sat in my room in my mom's basement, most likely, and oh. just computed numbers. That's, that's all right. Well, at least you're honest about it. Um, I, I, I'm I'm moving actually, uh, not out of town, not out of town. In fact, I'm only moving a couple miles from where I currently am. But um, so it's, it's so my life is kind of in like upside down mode, but nonetheless, we're here with you. We thank you for joining for allowing us to um, to join you uh, a day later than usual. We got a lot to talk about. We'll be previewing right now. Um, basically, I think an elimination game in the American between UCF and Temple up in Philadelphia, set for Saturday night. Uh, UCF coming off the uh, win over ECU uh, in, a, in a second half that a lot of people, for some reason, were freaking out about. Um, we also have, uh, it was also Basketball Media Day. We uh, Murph and, um, and uh, Eric and Jeremy were there. I wasn't because I'm packing stuff, but um, oh, I know, I know. How look awful. You, Mr. Look at you, Mr. Fancy Boy. I'm I packing know. stuff. I know, and uh, and they were, uh, and you guys were, um, were, were there uh, taking care of business with um, with the basketball coaches. We'll hear from, uh, we'll hear a little bit from uh, from Johnny Dawkins and KK Wright as well. And uh, we also have a very special guest. So we're continuing our uh, thanks to Chad Short for helping us set this up. We're continuing our look at um, this uh, name and likeness bill that's moving through the Florida legislature. Um, Remember a couple shows ago we had Representative Chip Lamarca on, uh, and uh, and this week we have uh, Keani McGee. He's a he's the uh, House Minority Leader in the Florida State House. He's from the 117th uh, district down in Miami, and uh, he discusses uh, what he thinks from his side of the aisle on uh, on this bill. And they actually uh, were both alongside Governor Ron DeSantis today at a press conference in Tallahassee. Tallahassee. Um, uh, discussing this bill. So, first things first, let's get to the football. Um, game number eight, fellas, here we are, and it's a huge one. It's at Temple, five and two, and two and one in the American against five and two, and two and one in the American. Um, at Lincoln Financial Field, it'll be on ESPN2, 7 p.m. Anish Shroff, Ahmad Brooks will be uh, on the call f- uh, on TV for ESPN. Um, seven o'clock kick, obviously, UCF uh, beat Temple 52 40 in a shootout last year. Um, Temple last one against UCF in 2016, but the Owls uh, in their uh, in their first year under uh, Rod Carey um, are have shown themselves to be one of the better defenses um, in the American fellas, uh, and especially when it comes to red zone. Actually, they're 
second in the country in red zone defense. Um, something obviously that UCF has had a problem with. And considering UCF was just coming off a game where they jumped out quick on ECU and then pretty much took the foot off the gas and, and looked a little wobbly at times in the second half. Well, let's start with that, Murph. Should should we look too far? In, should we look that much into that with Temple coming up? Uh, the second half lull? Yeah. Specific? No, not really. I mean, it it is discouraging because this is sort of something that UCF tends to do. Uh, certainly, they did it against UConn, uh, and I think just that you know, and and also let's not forget that their worst. I think their worst quarter of the season was that third quarter against. Uh, Cincinnati, where I think they gained one yard offensively, maybe right. maybe a little more than that. Seriously though, it they was were at bad. minus twenty one yards at one point. I remember that. Yeah, it was brutal. And again, this is a team that was so good in third quarters last year. It kind of shows you how those kind of stats are kind of fluky. But I think overall, you know, it's, it it doesn't really matter. I mean, this is so simplistic. It doesn't matter as long as you win, right? And I think that's the message coming out from Heupel and the players who. Yeah, they'll say all the right things about wanting to be more aggressive, uh, coming out and 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 needing the same energy that they had in the first half, carry that over past halftime into the second half. But ultimately, you just want to win the game. Uh, and I know that is that is so cliche that people are rolling their eyes into the back of their skulls, but <laughs> it's kind of true. That's the way that the high bull approaches it. He was asked this week if he was disappointed with how his team won the game because of how they prepared in the second, how they played in the second half. And he said disappointed was not, would not be a word that I use. Uh, and then he stated how hard it is to win in college football. And then certainly UCF is, uh, knows that firsthand twice this year. Let's go ahead and hear from Josh Heupel right here. This is from uh, earlier today. They're, they're physical. Uh, they don't beat themselves. They uh, uh, make you earn it. And, and uh, you know, I, I think they play three phases of the game um, well together. And so, you know, for us in, in all three areas, it's controlling what we control, you know, staying ahead of the chains offensively, defensively, um, making sure that we're playing with great eye integrity and tackling well in space. And, and uh, if we do those things, we're going to get a good chance. So that's Josh Heupel uh, on Thursday uh, talking with uh, talking with Murph and also previewing a little bit about Temple. Um, Eric, when you look at this matchup, by the way, UCF is a 10.5-point favorite, uh, and that line stayed stayed pretty it's got it's actually gone up a little bit opened at 10 it's up to 10 and a half 51 percent of the money according to odd shark is on ucf over under 60 and a half i don't know about you elo i was a little surprised i think that line's a little high because i, th- I don't think they're giving this temple team enough credit do you yeah they are giving them credit they're giving them credit for getting blown out by smu and losing to buffalo i think that's the problem <laughs> i wow. that's what they're giving them credit for um and I think it's one of those things where, look, people respect UCF still. And I think the belief is if UCF, if you believe UCF's going to win, that they're going to go win going away. Uh, the issue has been when they lose, it's a tight game. So I think from a betting standpoint is I think they want you to pick Temple. and They want you to take Temple here. Um, with the the thinking is that if UCF will just kind of pull them, uh, you know, cover the spread if they win this game. But, look, I, I think the bigger concern, Murph, from the game I took from ECU, and I think why people are kind of at the second half and all that stuff is that team got beat up. I mean, they left with a bunch of guys banged up and lost a guy that's not going to be playing for Temple, a starter, and have some guys that, while it looks like the rest of the guys that left the ECU game are going to play, who knows what they're if they're 100% or not, Murph. 
Yeah, I will say. So obviously, coaches lie. This happens all the time. <laughs> Co- coaches lie. No. Uh, and but you know, at least let's take Randy Charlton for an example, right? Randy Charlton, defensive end for UCF, has not played since the Pittsburgh game. And every week for the last three weeks, it's been, will Randy play? And Heupel's answer has been somewhere in the range of, we're not sure, we're hoping he does, we haven't made that decision yet. He said categorically this week that he uh, he believes that, uh, uh, well, I guess it's not categorical, but it's more convincing than we guess so. He said this week, we believe that he'll be available. He's been very adamant. He was very adamant today when asked about every other player not named Greg McRae. So basically the likes of Sam Jackson, Cole Schneider, Adrian Killens, Neville Clark. And he said that absolutely every other person who was hurt for that ECU game will play in this game. They were on the field practicing this week. They'll be back. Usually you do not get that kind of open openness and sort of open shut answer from, from, from Hypo. It's usually more nebulous than that. So I think the fact that he has been that revealing, uh, I'm willing to take him at his word, which, of course, will then blow up my face in 48 hours when none of these guys play, probably. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, wow. what, do we, what do we know, by the way, about um, about Greg McRae, if anything, was it uh, with his injury? Well, we know it's a knee injury, and we know that when, uh, he, when he left the game, he went back to the locker room, and then for the, most, the second half of that game against DCU, he came back wearing a full leg brace, basically. I mean, he could walk in it, um, but basically he had to keep his leg basically straight out at all times. I heard from someone who said it's it kind of looks similar to what Mackenzie Milton is wearing now. Uh, again, it's not to compare the severity of Panic! The everybody panic! Oh, God! Yeah, no, it's not. But I think they just want to keep that – they want to keep that leg immobilized a little bit. So that they put him in a full brace. For for as far as McCray is concerned, Heupel has only said he will not be available for this week. Uh, do I take any stock in that? And, and do I jump forward and say, well, uh, that means he'll be available next week? No, I don't. I don't go across that bridge because that's too much assuming. Um, I, I, we'll just wait and see. It'll be something that we ask Heupel about every week, and until he gives us a definitive answer. I think we can we can we can kind of guess that he will not play. That McCray will not play. If we hear from Heupel, uh these answers of uh, we think he'll play, or, or 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 we're not sure he'll play, or we hope he'll play, but we're not sure, or we haven't decided if he'll play or not, that's basically at this point a no. Is Josh Heupel like a lawyer in another in another in another life? He's a, like the, he's he's the master of semantics. It's really amazing. No, he's a foot he's a football coach. This is this is he's like, no, he's actually not. He is a athletics coach. This is what they all do. Coaches lie. Um, so in, in McCray's place, we're just going to see a little bit more of everybody else, right? I mean, we're going to see a lot, of, a lot more of Benno Thompson. Um, Otis Anderson really carried the load last week, didn't he? I mean, so yeah. what are we going to see now? Because you know, this is a game where it feels like you know, if you're UCF against Temple, um, you know, they're eighty fourth. In uh, in in oh no I'm I'm looking at the wrong stats. Temple is in terms of rushing defense, they're 47th. They're 81st in pass yards allowed. So, I mean they're not they're not bad against the run, but they're not good. Um, is this one of those games where it, it, where we're going to pro- possibly see uh, Dylan Gabriel open it up a little bit? Well, actually, we saw Dylan Gabriel open up a little bit during ECU. I mean, he ran 
I believe if you just take his pot, if you just take his rushes, not his sacks, which count as rushes in college football, that's stupid. If you just take his pure rushes, I believe he ran five times for 27 yards against ECU. Uh, that yardage total was by far a season high, and I think you saw you just saw more of that this uh, that last game, and not because uh, they needed him to run more because McCray was out, but both both Heupel and, and uh, uh, quarterbacks coach Jeff Lebby have said that they just believe that he's doing that more because Gabriel's getting more comfortable in, in as he goes through this season. Obviously, as a freshman, it's it's a huge learning Every week is a learning a learning experience, and I think they they seem to state that they think he is just becoming more trustworthy in his abilities to do that, and he's trusting himself that when he keeps the ball in those read options, he will not make a mistake. And I think maybe you saw some of that that skittishness against Cincinnati. Uh, you saw him play more freely against DCU. Granted, two completely different defenses, one good, one awful. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, I think, you know, you'll see him run, I think, more than he did in Cincinnati, certainly more than he did in Pittsburgh. It's now, it's now been a threat. They at least put that on film, that you have to respect it. But in terms of what they do differently with, with Greg McCray out, the answer would be more drastic if Adrian Killens was also out as well. But he's not going to be. Uh, you know, he, he uh, nicked up his ankle, uh, but he was back practicing uh, no later than, I think, Wednesday of this week. Otis Anderson with that word, no less. He, he told us that AK was practicing at near 100% on Wednesday. So yeah. I, I We got more information was, from Otis Anderson than we did from Manny great. on the coaching staff. I, I trust Otis <laughs> Anderson. So if, if Otis Anderson's telling me that guys are practicing, I'm going to believe that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you've got Killens and you've got uh, uh, Otis Anderson and then you sprinkle in Bentavious Thompson, I believe this running game is fine. Um, Eric, on the other side for uh, for Temple, um, obviously Anthony Russo's back, and he's actually having a pretty decent, um, decent season. Temple right now 37th in the country in pass offense. But, man, they have a hard time running the ball, which is actually – a little different than what we're used to seeing from Temple. What what are you seeing on that matchup in the Temple offense against the UCF defense? Anything that might scare you in particular? Yeah, I think it, with for starters, they're going to play. You know, the, yes, Russo's the starter and the quarterback, but they're going to you know sprinkle in Todd Centineo, uh, who's kind of in their quarterback they use to run the football um, and to help the running game, if you will. In fact, he's third on the team in, in carries and in yards rushing, not only one, like 24 carries, but point is you got to prepare for two quarterbacks and two different styles um, from that standpoint. Now, you know, the rushing game this year, they got, you know, Davis, uh, Ramon Davis and Jagger Gardner. They're, I don't think they're as good as Armstead was last year, but I tell you, they got three good receivers. They can make plays. I mean, Jaden Blue, you got Brandon Mack, and Isaiah Wright. So, you know, I think to me the key in this game is you got to, you know, the defensive line for UCF's got to come out and perform and put some pressure on the Temple quarterbacks. Because if not, I think that, you know, as good as the secondary is for UCF, I think this core of receivers for Temple, Murph, is pretty good. And, and they have multiple options. It's not like other teams, Murph, that UCF's played where, hey, they maybe got one option or two you got to watch out for. I mean, Temple, as I mentioned, they got three guys with 38 catches or more on this roster already. So uh, I think the defense here, the defensive line has to play and show up here for the night uh, on Saturday here, Burr. Yeah, you know, and the defensive line was better against CCU. Coming into that game, they had only, I think, uh, five sacks in their previous four games, and then they had three 
against the Pirates. Uh, so you saw some progress there. You, you know, Shane Burnham, the defensive line coach, wants to see more guys getting home more. You know, not, not just getting pressures or getting hits, but getting, you know, actual sacks. You saw that a little bit. But also, you know, Holt Naylor's uh, for ECU doesn't really have great pocket awareness. And at least one of the sacks was due to him running around in a clean pocket. And as Sam Darnold would, would put it, he was seeing ghosts. Uh, but I don't know if you get that out of Russo, who I think is a better, is a better, at least a more, he's a more serviceable quarterback than Ehlers is now. Ehlers is more, I think, gifted naturally, but Russo right now is a better, better player. Yeah, Russo is really, um, I think he's really improved, at least from what we initially saw uh, from before. But uh, uh, again, different, different tests for the UCF uh, defense this week, you know, and UCF again is favored by ten and a half. So. Um, ESPN 2 is carrying the game 7 p.m. And uh, by the way, the weather report, from what I'm seeing, um, is quite nice up in Philly. 66 degrees and um, and, uh, and and pretty sunny, actually. So it should yeah. be a beautiful day up in Philly, Murph. It was funny. Josh Heibel got asked. Well, I think it was in that audio. I'm sorry. I haven't listened to that audio. Uh, that uh, Josh Heibel was asked if he's worried about his player's uh, you know, dealing with the cold, you know, this week. First what of all, cold? it's gonna be in the, <laughs> it's gonna be in the fifties. And secondly, it's hard to overlook the hilarity of that question when asked to a guy who grew up in the Dakotas. Right. It's, yeah. it's like, what do you? Yeah. There's no such thing as cold. <laughs> if you're Josh. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, so, yeah, the weather is gonna be fine. The weather is gonna be fine. Um, I, I'm, I, let me ask you this. I, I know Murph, you've been concerned about this game. I don't even think I need to ask you, Jeff. You're right. You're panicking in this game. Is that what you're concerned? I, I, I mean, did not pick, at? at the beginning of the year. I did not pick UCF to lose this game, but, uh, um, let's put it this way. My, uh, my ears are perked up. Ah, oh, jumping Jeff. Well, listen, I'm not too concerned. I, I think this team, I was there Thursday. I think this team understands the urgency here. Uh, a couple things here. I don't think Temple matches up well with UCF. I don't think Lincoln Financial Field is an intimidating place on the road. I think there are, and I think Murphy would agree. There's about at least three to four things that right now everybody in Philly's more concerned about than Temple football. Number one is what the hell is wrong with the Eagles. Number two is Ben Simmons going to shoot from the perimeter at any point this season. And number three is Joe Girardi going to help get the Phillies into the playoffs. I really don't think that anybody. So I don't. I don't expect. A raucous crowd in Philly there, and I think the Knights' offense will respond. And I, I think they're due, aren't they, Merv? I just feel like they're due to, to put a 60-minute game together. Can this team do it? That's really the only question here is can they put it together for four quarters? Because if they can, Temple has no shot, but we don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if anybody's due, I hate that because I don't know what that means and how you can actually, uh, you know, how do you quantify that? I, I don't know. The fact is, they have not performed well on the road. Dylan Gabriel has looked like two different quarterbacks, went on the road, and then went at home. Granted, when he's been on the road, you know, he has faced good defenses, and now here's another one. I, I think, you know, when you look at when you when you look at the, the Temple defense, it has shown some cracks, certainly in the running game in the last couple of weeks, but they're still a pretty uh, formidable opponent at home. Uh, and so, you know, what kind of Gabriel are we going to get? Is he going to take care of the ball? Will the UCF offensive line be able to open up open up enough holes for the running game to be successful? We talked about how the defensive line needs to get home. How about just like special teams, part return, 
uh, coverage, both in coverage and return. And then we got we to gotta at least mention penalties. This team, UCF, has been extremely undisciplined yeah. for basically all season long. And even though we've been talking about penalties for the last few weeks, it was really a major issue against ECU. Again, a game where those sort of mistakes don't cost you because you're up by so much. But they had, I believe, 11 penalties that were just that were just accepted, not 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 counting the ones that were declined. And like half of those penalties were like offsides or false starts or post-play personal fouls, like just mental stuff after the play or before the play that you shouldn't do. And um, so that's stuff that they need to keep under control. We've talked about it all week with them. They're saying all the right things about how they're stressing about, you know, staying focused and locked in and, and all that stuff. But uh, this team needs to show that because let's be honest, this team has not played very disciplined football this year. Yeah, UCF right now tied for 110th in the country in fewest penalties per game and 108th in fewest penalty yards per game. So um, out of 130 teams, you know, that's that's pretty undisciplined. It's one thing that, you know, they, that has kind of gone a little bit raw, awry this year with UCF compared to, compared to teams past. I mean, the penalties went up, you know, under Scott Frost too. But you're right, Murph. I think there have been a lot of sort of inexcusable mental error penalties that that have really hurt UCF at some at some really inopportune times. Especially think back to the to the pit game with the personal fouls, which led to the which led to them getting back in it. But um, nonetheless, um, the, it, of course, they could take care of business against Temple, and then everyone will feel better. By the way, UCF's last road win was the FAU game back on September the seventh. Seems seems. Like By the way, UCF. UCF's last win out of the state of Florida, the ECU game last October. It's been more than yeah. a year. How about that? So, By the way, uh, you mentioned UCF's penalties, Murph. Look for a lot of flags in this game because Temple has a lot of penalties. Yeah, Temple's too. not exactly, yeah, yeah. Temple's not exactly a, a paragon of a discipline game, here. Yeah. yeah, eight penalties so, a game, Murph. So you're telling me the pace of play for this one may not be spry? The game might be over on it. Sunday. <laughs> Get the coffee ready, Murph. Get the coffee. Yes. We'll revive it. I need a second round. Like I said, I'm gonna just mainline it. Just hook it to my veins. All right. Well, while Murph is uh, figuring out how to do that with coffee, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, we're gonna talk some basketball. It's media day today at UCF for both men's and women's basketball, and uh, we will hear from uh, some coaches and players uh, as uh, when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Banneret. We are, of course, SB Nation's home for UCF sports. Got lots to talk about, and we're heading toward the really busy part of the season because, gentlemen, basketball season is about to get underway. Uh, and we had media day at UCF for both um, men's and women's basketball. We talked to coaches and players from uh, both squads, both of you were there. Jeremy Brenner was there. It was a, a busy time, but a fun time. But um, it was also a time to uh, get reacclimated with uh, some, or, or get acclimated in some cases, especially with the men's side for the first time with a bunch of guys. But um, you know, you, you, you spoke with a couple players, and of course, head coach uh, Johnny Dawkins. We'll start with the men's side. What is, what is the feeling heading in there? There are so many new guys that. 
I, I don't know. That is they the feel it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, how, how's I know they went overseas. The over they had the overseas trip, and you know sometimes that can help with team chemistry. But you know we're we're you know coming down the pike here. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be basketball time, and is this team gonna be gonna spend a lot of the season kind of figuring it out? Possibly. I mean, don't forget this is the same team, the same coach, really, and Johnny Dawkins. Who even who even last season with the roster they had was still talking about how this group had not played much together and they still needed time to gel. And again, in some aspect, that was right because with Taco being hurt so often, BJ breaking his foot, Aubrey missing a year, that group really hadn't played much together. But they they still had more general experience than really anybody on this roster, certainly within this program. We've got some seniors who transferred in. But the, the, you know the most the most experienced guy, quote unquote, in this program is either Colin Smith or Caesar DeJesus. and so you don't have that sort of like senior guys who have been here forever. Um, so yeah, I think the main thing you get out of this today is it's it's very new, it's a work in progress, but also the stylistic change of really wanting to play faster. And I know this is um, disturbed people. Well, not disturbed. That's kind of a harsh verb. But it's annoyed people how this team has not lived up to the expectation of running a faster offense. And I think that's understood because they had Taco. But without Taco now, I believe it's going to happen. I believe you're going to see a team that is not going to rank sub 300 in tempo, in adjusted tempo. I believe they are going to be more up and down, a more exciting brand of basketball, whether it's a successful brand of basketball. Again, that's so to be seen late, later than now. Uh, we have no idea. And that's sort of the appeal of this team. This team is sort of like a, 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 like a present. We just don't know what's inside. Who of the new guys impressed you the most? I think, I think the, the expectations for the new guys is Dazon Ingram, transferred from Alabama, grad transfer, played four years for the Crimson Tide. He's now going to be the point guard for this for this team, and he feels like you know, he's been very open talking about his time at Alabama, saying he felt restricted on the court because in the SEC they want you to focus doing one thing. Now I don't know if I believe that, but he said that Alabama wanted him just to do one thing, focus on doing one thing, mostly for him in his most recent year. He said it was just slashing into the paint. Well, he he says now with UCF that he can be more wide open. He's playing more freely. He's doing more things that he know he can do, and so that you know, as a, you know, he's going to be somebody who steps up big time or needs to step up big time because he's going to be running the point for this offense. And then secondly, the Oviedo native Matt Milan from William and Mary, uh, a fantastic shooter, and they need that because obviously losing B.J. Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins, they need three point shooting, and he's going to give it to them in a big way. How about you, Elo? Yeah, I, I agree about Ingram. Ingram really got a lot of uh, really hype and, and talk there. In fact, we'll hear from Coach Dawkins talk about Ingram as Murph asked him about him in media day, uh, and, and Murph described him. I've been fascinated by the guards in general. Tony Johnson, a kid I got to talk to. We're going to air that interview in a future uh, special edition of the Banner where we preview the basketball scene. But I, Tony Johnson, just a freshman, uh, really talented kid, played high school up in Georgia. A very confident young man. We're number one. I, you know, I think the thing that stands out to me is this is a group that likes each other. I talked to Avery D- uh, Diggs, uh, a kid there that came over from Southwest Mississippi College. And the, he was telling me about the bond of uh, this team. And everybody gets along. And I think 
Coach Dawkins, Murph, really emphasized that a lot about he really strongly believes in a team that that's together off the court will will generate will you know benefit them on the court. Yeah, you know, talking to Avery Diggs, you mentioned it. When I got to talk to him, we talked to him at different times. Avery Diggs, I asked him, you know, why did he choose UCF? And he said because when he was talking to these coaches, Johnny Dawkins and his staff, he felt like they weren't giving him any bull crap. And that's his words. He said, it just felt real to me. I'm like, what do you mean real? Because I felt like they weren't saying any bull crap to me. And I think the players respect that. I heard that from some of the freshmen as well, why they committed here. Because they felt that they were being real. And they weren't trying to just, like, uh, to shine, you know, to, to, to say anything that would please them. That weren't would, trying to blow them. smoke, as they say. You know? Right, right. They weren't. They, they, yeah, exactly. So I think that, that, that impresses a lot of players. And, um, yeah, we heard a lot of that today. And if we want to run that now, here's what we heard from Johnny Dawkins today at UCF Basketball Media Day. So your excitement level now, I think, less than two weeks out from the start of the next season. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, you know, really excited about our group. You know, I, I think they're, they're looking forward to getting started, you know, playing against each other for most of the summer and now fall. I think that gets old and the guys are ready to start competing against other teams. When you have this much roster turnover, I know you talk about you know time you need to gel together. How much? How long do you think that would need to take for this team to really start playing as a cohesive unit? Uh, that's difficult to say as far as uh, you know months or weeks. You know chemistry is something that kind of evolves. You know each group is different with regards to that. Some guys start to get a feel for each other quicker than some other players. And so for us, we're just going to take it day by day. We're going to be patient with that, understanding that it's a process for these guys to learn each other. But, you know, I'm excited because they all seem to, you know, have a good feel from the standpoint of what we want to do. So now it's a function of them just making better connecting plays. But I think that will come as they continue to continue to work. Obviously, BJ was such a great leader and, and run the offense. What, what can we expect to see from the point guard, even the backcourt for that matter? Uh, from the point guard position, I think you'll see, you'll see a number of guys able to play the position. Uh, all, of, all will be different. Uh, I think we have guys that you know are good facilitators, really good passers at the position. We have some guys that we can put there that 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 more have a more scoring mindset. So it'll depend. Uh, Leadership-wise, uh, I think we have some good leaders. Of course, BJ was a terrific leader for us from the standpoint of who he was in our program. But we have some guys that are, that are good leaders. You know, I, I like Colin Smith. You know, his maturity that he's shown over the course of this past year. He's one of our captains and really been doing a really good job of leading. And he knows what I want because he's been with me for several years now. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we have Matt, who we, you guys have probably met. You know, we made him a captain. And, and for someone who's been new to our program, that's rare for me to have someone just come in and, and can assume that mantle. But I think he's been very good because of what he does as far as an everyday player. He comes in every single practice. You know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to get, you know, before and after practice. A guy that's going to come early, stay late. He's really committed to becoming really good. And uh, that's always a good example to have in leadership. And then we have, you know, a young man that was voted captain for us this year who, I, you know, for me as a sophomore, I don't think I've ever had a sophomore captain in and, and, uh, Levy. And uh, so Levy's been named one of our captains as well, voted on by his teammates, which says a lot about who he is. So I'm excited about him, and he's been a great leader. He's been vocal. He's been talking, you know, telling guys, you know, things they need to do on the court. So that's been really good for us. So it's been, it's been good for us. So I think we got you know, a number of ways we can go there with regards to our leadership. 
but all of which I think are positive. Another one of those point guards, Dazon Ingram, he talked about how he felt restricted with some of the stuff that, that Bama had him doing before he got here. Has he mentioned that to you, and how have you tried to maybe open his game up and really utilize him the best he can be utilized? Well, Dazon is a dynamic player. You know, he, he's a very good facilitator of the basketball. He, he makes plays, and he makes plays on both ends of the floor. You know, defensively, he's a really good lockdown defender there as well. Uh, and I think, I think everyone has a different style, a different type of system. I think what we do, I think, definitely lends itself to who he is as a player. I think it allows him to, to operate in more, with more space on the floor and, and operate with the ball in his hands a little more, which is something that I think he's, he's very good at. So I think sometimes it's just, a, it's just a function of being in the right system, and I think the system will be something that will benefit him as well as our team. Is there a situation in your playing career or your coaching career where you had so much turnover, and how can you use those experiences to coach this team? Uh, never. This is the most turnover I've ever had and been a part of as a player or a coach. But it's just a function of today's game, as you know. I mean, it's, it's changed so, so drastically over the last decade or so, and you kind of just have to adapt to it. And so what we've done is, you know, we've tried to get to know these young men as best we could. We've tried to do a number of team-building things to try to pull us closer together. Because I just still believe the philosophy has to be, you know, the most together teams are usually the, the most successful ones. So it, with keeping that in mind, everything we do is trying to bring our guys together, put us in, in close proximity of each other, working with each other, so that we have a level of trust in, in what we're doing out there on the court because of the relationships that we are developing. So that's kind of been our philosophy, and uh, we've stuck to that. And I think our guys are getting close. They're getting to know each other on, on a deeper level. I think always aids you when you're on the basketball court. Dre, bowling every Tuesday yeah. night. Have you, have you gone to these bowling games? Have you gone to bowling night? Uh, I've, not, I've gone to bowling night with them before, but not with this particular group. But, yeah, we have gone bowling, but I haven't gone with our group here. But we do get them out to bowl. We get them out to dinner, gone to the escape room, and things of that nature. Just so you know, where we no one escaped either, just so you know. <laughs> just just so that we put our guys, like I said, in positions where we're working together, we're having fun together. And I just believe that's just so important to success is that, uh, you know, getting to know each other on, on a deeper level than just, you know, and just passing by or just when we see each other in practice. I think that's important, and our guys have really embraced that, and I think that's helping our overall chemistry. It's helping our, you know, just it's helping our continuity. All right, that was uh, Coach Dawkins from Media Day there with questions from Brian Murphy, myself, and Jeremy Brenner uh, there talking to Coach Dawkins. Murph, I want to ask you, too, one of the guys you got a chance to talk to, I didn't get a chance to talk to, but you were fascinated by, and that is you are, you know, Alec, and he's not going to play till later in the season. Uh, It's just the thing that jumps out at me, Murph, is how are all these pieces are going to be put together and how they mesh once we get them on the court is going to be fascinating to me. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the freshmen who they even brought out today, they might end up taking a a back seat. You know, at this point last year, when Dre Fuller uh, was a freshman, a true freshman, we really thought he was going to have some sort of impact uh, for last year's team. Turned out they were going to redshirt him anyway, so they redshirted him. So I think you'll see some of the freshmen that we talked to today and that we're talking about now may not actually be major contributors, especially when, again, you ought to lock a, a seven, uh, basically a seven-foot center um, transferred in from JUCO when he was the number one JUCO player in the country, uh, previous experience at TCU. When he's available at the end of the fall semester, so somewhere in, somewhere in December, 
I believe he's going to play significant minutes at some point and thus take away someone else's playing time. But how it all works out, again, I think that's one of the intriguing parts of this team. I understand that the expectations for this team aren't very high. People don't, you know, aren't thinking very highly of them on the outside. But I'm interested just to watch how this team unfolds purely. And I think also that that, that piques Coach Dawkins' interest as well because as a coach, he wants to see all these pieces mesh. I mean, really, at this point, we not, nobody knows much. We haven't seen them play together, really, in a live environment. So yeah. I think that's going to be at least interesting to watch, even though it's going to come with a lot of ups and downs. Well, they open the season uh, on November the 9th uh, at home against Prairie View. No exhibition games this year, interestingly enough, but um, but we'll get their first look at that. And then right after that, three days later, they play at home against Miami. <laughs> so big step up in competition there um and uh, and we'll have and that's when we're going to see them under live game conditions and uh, it might be messy at first well, but it'll be it should be you're right it should be very interesting at the very least well and we're going to get to see them murph on saturday morning prior to the houston game they're going to have an open scrimmage uh yeah. where people we're going to attend i think you and i are going to probably take a peek at check it out so that's going to be at least publicly, the first time we get to see him on the court a little bit. I know it's just a scrimmage, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think Coach Docks is excited for this challenge, right? It's not like, oh, whoa, is he me? It's kind of like, hey, you know, we, this is going to be exciting. We're going to put these guys together, and I, I, I don't get a sense that he feels like, you know, it's funny. I think someone asked him, or remember they asked him about the defense. Is there going to be, is, is you know, some of the offensive things they're going to do, is that going to be at the expense of the defense? And, of course, no taco. And he's like, no, no, no. He was very adamant that he does not exp- want, expect a drop-off defensively despite not having a taco fall. Yeah, and that's because they feel like they're more they're more versatile. They have more guys who are able to guard more positions. They're more positionless, which can make, you know, you, you make it more confusing on defense to really scheme against. We'll see if that's borne out. I, I that could be just coach speak because I am one to believe that Taco Fall, uh, and not breaking any news here, but he was a massive difference maker defensively. Like you just don't replace that. Yeah, but you know I, I also see the other side of that where you know he he Taco giveth and Taco taketh away sometimes on defense, uh, just in like terms he, of, just like he does on offense too. Of, in terms of pacing and keeping up with. With the the more athletic bigs, you know, your 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 sort of pick and pop bigs, guys who can stretch the floor. Yeah, I get that, but you know, you don't see that a ton. You don't see that a, a lot at at this level of the college game. Maybe more so in uh in, in the uh the the ACC or, or Big Ten, but not much here. And so I, I I don't know. I still think that without Taco, they're going to have a lot of problems stopping a lot of drivers. Teams are going to be more willing to drive on them in the paint. I think the biggest change is not even defensively; it's offensively, and allowing them to run up and down the court more. Right. Yeah. And then so, who's going to so who's going to so step there, up and be that rim protector? You're right. Go ahead, Brian uh, or Eric. So, I'm sorry. Well, no, and and I, we're not going to get into this as much on this episode because we're going to do a basketball special, so we'll probably dwell into this more. But it sounds to me, Murph, and this will be one of the questions we'll ask during the basketball special we're going to do in a in a in the in the, in the, in the future. Are you more worried about? It sounds like you're more worried about UCF missing Taco than say replace you know, and replacing him than say a BJ or Aubrey. Yeah, because this team's identity, no matter what anybody wants to say, this team's identity is defense. They are rooted in defense, and I, you lose basically the most dominant defensive player this university has ever known 
uh, that makes a difference. So, I, you know, I, I just I, I see them backtracking in, in the one department that they really, you know, that they, they, they really pride themselves on. And I think that can that definitely concerns me more than the scoring, because I think the scoring, while maybe there may not be a, a, a really go ahead, like a go to guy who's like a like a, uh, you know, the B.J. Taylor they're, it's going to be more spread out. I think they're going to get their offense either anyway, you know, eight points here from one guy and 10 points here from another guy. But defensively, I think they're going to be exposed more just because you just do not have the threat of a guy with an eight foot two, eight foot four wingspan. Yeah. I mean, it's, and we'll have to see, you know, does that, does that bear itself out, you know, in the course of maybe that first game against Prairie View? I know that that's the good opportunity to try some things out, but, you know, I think that real te- that test against Miami, you know, playing an ACC team, that's going to be a real. And then going on the road at Illinois State right after that too, we're going to find out uh, real quick where UCF stands defensively, at least at the start of the season post Taco Fall. Wasn't just the fellas who uh, got involved; we also had the ladies. Um, UCF women's basketball, of course, uh, coming off their first ever, just like the men, their first ever uh, at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. And they have a lot of new faces. Not quite as many, but still a lot. Uh, But one player who does return is the preseason co-player of the year in the conference in her senior year now out of Jones High School, K.K. Wright. Um, Diamond Battles is back. Masani Kaba is back. Siani Martin's back. But other than that, we have a... uh, And Brittany Smith as well. But other than that, we have a wide range of new faces on the women's side as well. Eric, you got the chance to talk to, uh, actually both of you guys got the chance to talk to Coach Abe and talk to a few of the players. And the, the outlook, you know, on the men's side is, you know, well, UCF was picked ninth in the conference on the men's side with all the new faces. But UCF, not so low, right? No, they were tied third. Picked third in the league and uh, certainly maybe caught some people off guard, at least, you know, there, considering all the people they've lost. But it shows the respect that they have for this program. And, I, you know, the big story, of course, was K.K. Wright. That's really the headliner, getting the co-player of the year preseason honor in the American Conference in, in the league where UConn is in. I think that was kind of a surprise, Coach Hape, considering the history. And it, it to me, that's the, that was the big takeaway for me. You know, we've I've gone to a ton of media days in basketball over the years. Too many to, to – you know, I've lost track. And Murph, you've been to a bunch. Jeff, you've been to a bunch. And, and we're, we're, we're look, look in, 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 let's be honest. When they do the men and the women, obviously uh, men get the more attention from some media there and things like that. And people are kind of always kind of like, well, maybe we'll talk to certain players. The thing that blew me away, the most uh, person that was demanded the most here, that got the most attention, uh, there was two you know, people, I think Colin Smith, but K.K. Wright by far had a ton of media attention. I think it's awesome. It tells you it speaks volumes of the respect that she has gotten to where everybody wants to hear what she has to say, including our very own Brian Murphy, who got a chance to talk to her and he talk about what's it like being the player there and the expectations as Murph and Jeremy Brenner here talk to KK Wright. But it was real, you know, <laughs> and I'm excited. Um, it just, just goes to show the hard work that I put in and I'm just so excited and um, just excited about the recognition um years before you know i didn't really get that so now that i'm receiving that um just makes me more hungry makes me want to go harder it makes me want to just just put it all out there for night nation you and diamond are obviously very close you're the big reason why she's here mm-hmm. and now you guys will be playing a lot together this year in the back in the backcourt talk about your guys' relationship on the floor 
um, I think it's kind of a big sister, little sister role. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of there for her, able to like, you know, coach her through, um, just tell her through the offense, you know, because I've been here before, um, you know, four years. So just knowing the the ways to be on the court, the ways of our defense. So just kind of being there for her and just, you know, mo help molding her as a player. Season accolades that you're getting and obviously with it becomes more attention. How do you not turn that into maybe pressure that you put on yourself to live up to those expectations? Um, I don't think it's so much pressure. I just think um, I just have to focus on the games and focus on winning. Um, if you're not winning, you're not going to be getting accolades. If you're not winning, you're not going to be getting any, um, you know, post-game um, praise or anything. So I just think we just have to focus on game-by-game -game situation. You know, and just take it game by game, and it'll be a special year. Heading into your final season, though, uh, I guess how much, you know, what, what's the mindset like for you, just personally, knowing that you're heading into your final season? Is it any different than maybe heading into last season or your sophomore year? Um, I don't think it's any different. Um, I just have to cherish each moment as it's as if it's my last. Um, I just really have to soak in all the moments and, you know, not get caught up in the accolades and, you know, everything that's going on around me. Just have to keep focused and. Just focus on our team goals and our end goals. So that's KK Wright, the first, I believe, first non-UConn player to get at least a share of the preseason conference player of the year award in the AAC. Uh, and it just shows you how much respect that everybody has for her. And and again, this is and you heard her you heard her, I think, in there. She is really concentrating on one aspect of her game more so she likes to target an aspect of her game every offseason and improve upon it. And this year, it's been three-point shooting. And Coach Abe said that, you know, in the past, she could shoot, but wasn't that accurate. I believe she shot, I think, less than 35% from deep last year. Well, she can hit that shot now. And, you know, she's not going to be hoisting up 10 threes a game. But defenses are going to have to respect her now on the perimeter, which is going to make her tougher to guard. Imagine that. And also <laughs> open up the offense more uh, and, and not be so compacted in the paint. So uh, I think... Uh, you know, KK is the, the best performer on this team. She's also the hardest worker, as as Abe said today. And I think that only makes this team better. And she's also placed on the uh, Nancy Lieberman watch list as well uh, for uh, for this year as well. So the, she's the star. She's yeah, the star she's, basketball player on campus, male or female, yeah. right now. And she's uh, and she's certainly yeah. the best player we've had on the women's side. Man, for a very long time. Well, we're going to uh, get into that, Jeff. Yeah, we're going to get into that when we do our basketball special. We're going to get into where she – because I, I – and, you know, I think she has a shot to be the best of all time if she can yeah. duplicate what she did last year. Well, I know we're going to get into that more, but she is not – she's somebody that – I don't know that we've had this in women's basketball with the program. I think she trans could transcend the program as far as – there are people that know who KK is. I mean, a lot of the media know who KK is. A lot of it being obviously the fact that she's a local girl. Coach Abe has talked about that. Went to Jones High School, had a great career there. But she's one of the few people I, I that I can't. I mean, Jeff, you've covered it just as long as I have, and Murphy yeah. as well. I don't remember another women's basketball player that you could say that sentence about. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly more hype around her than I think that, that has ever been. It used to be, and rightfully so. Know, rightfully yeah. so. Yeah, you know, I, I would say that you know certain other players they kind of made their, they kind of made their way uh, into the local consciousness just based on just based on how the team was playing and also just you know how good they were with the media. 
at times. Um, but I mean, KK's play speaks for itself, and and she's an excellent ambassador of the program and a fiery competitor. I think that's the part that um, gets overlooked with her, and we'll you know talk about that a lot more as we get ready for the as we get ready for the season with that basketball preview show we're going to have next week. But overall outlook for uh, for the women's team right now. Um, and and Murph, I'll, uh, you know, and Murph and Eric, I want to hear from both of you on this. Is you know that that third place finish is <clears throat> excuse me quite lofty. And when you look at the schedule, they are playing UConn twice this year, um, opening up with an 11 a.m. game against uh, Pitt on a Wednesday. Um, you know, uh, what do we think about this? Do they have the opportunity? At least as of right now, based on uh, based on how you feel that they're approaching the season. Um, do you see them as above expectations, at expectations, or maybe a chance to go below expectations this year? Eric, I'll concede to you. Well, okay, Murphy. I mean, you were the guy that was, you know, Mr. Women's Hoops there in the media interviews there with me, but I, I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> look, I think they could be the second best team in the league. Uh, I really do. And I know they lost a lot of departure, but I gotta, let's talk about Diamond Battles, sophomore of Winter Haven, Florida. Went to Winter Haven, you know. KK's back up from last year. And they know each other very well. Uh, Murph, I know you've talked to both of them about that. Uh, That was brought up even in the area. I think, you know, not to give away too much on the basketball special, I think this has a chance to be maybe the best backcourt in in UCF women's basketball history. I mean, I've heard great things about Diamond. And and since Coach Abe's been here, there's always been a player that takes it to the next level, the ne- you know, uh, the following year, and especially in the guard position. KK took that level after Z Saunders, and I think Diamond's set up to be the next one. And boy, would that could be something where I would not be surprised if those are your top two scorers. And I think they're very good offensively. I understand the concern with the, the departures, and, and I think there are some legitimate questions about the depth of this team. But another name to keep in mind is one of the captains on this team, uh, Massini Kaba, Jeff, who we've seen. He quietly had a great freshman year, and I think got overshadowed a little bit last year because they had so many bigs last year. I think she's going to be one that's going to take it to the next level because I I loved her game as a freshman, Jeffrey, when she yeah. had she had to play more minutes than she was probably planning on playing because they had so many injuries during her freshman year. I, I think that's a a name to keep in mind with this team. So I actually think uh, that this team potentially could be maybe the best offensive team they've had under Coach Abe. And ironically, that you know, I, I just trust the, her and the staff as far as figuring it out defensively. So I, I think I still believe they're the second best team in the league, obviously behind UConn. Yeah, the good thing is, like, the, with their experience coming back with KK, I mean, obviously you have a bona fide uh, scoring threat and leader on the floor with Moss, like you were talking about, excellent uh, front court player who uh, suffered some injuries last year a little bit, but was able to make her way back. Um, and you know, like you said, very talented in her freshman year was kind of a real surprise. The thing that I, I look at that they have kind of an advantage on is when you look at the roster with all the new people on the roster. The one thing that that, like you said, offense is something that they should be okay with. So then you're like, okay, well, what do they have to do on defense? The good thing is when you're talking about when you're talking about newcomers, right? Defense is the easiest thing to catch up on, if you're if you're new if you're new to a system. Defense they always new players in in a place always figure out defense first, and then offense kind of comes at comes at a time. 
So if that's the case, and by the way, they have you know some players who do have some experience out here. Um, you know, uh, Georgia Gale, who came over, she's uh, she's from Sheffield, England, but came from North Florida State College, JC transfer. Um, yeah, is uh, is an experienced uh, is it is an experienced player that should get uh, some some work as well. Um, you have a couple of other junior transfers um, as well, like uh, like Cortesia Sanders, who came over from uh, Chipola College, Janaya Walker from Trinity Valley, um, and, uh, and and then you have a a, a richer senior in Grace Stant, who comes over from uh, Villanova, who's a grad transfer, who should help out um, up front uh, as a forward. So there's a, there's a lot of talent there. It's just a matter of how they mesh, and if the the trick is to get them to play defense well then UCF should be actually in pretty good shape going forward we will have a full basketball preview show next week here on the black and yeah. podcast it's going to be fun. we're going to look at we're going to look at both teams we're hopefully going to have also some special guests to talk about in a little bit uh as well next week uh so be on the lookout for that in addition to our regular uh, Murph was disappointed. I participated in the media basketball game, and he was very disappointed in my jump shot. Rightfully so. I might there was there was a basketball game today. Well, no, no, no. it was a media, was ahead, media knockout. You know, media oh, knockout. It was a knockout. Oh, okay. Well, what, what, Ken what, Landis, what, the champ. Oh, Kenny, Kenny, was it? Okay, well, okay. Was was O'Donnell and 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 Taylor Young there? No. Okay. Fine. Okay, then, then it's then it's a perfectly legit contest because those two guys are just ringers, and I don't want to. Ha- and, and I'm glad. No, but Murph had a problem with Kenny winning it because he's technically media relations. So is he really, you know, media? Whoa. I mean, Luke, you know that Wait. there was some controversy about. Ah, it. I did not have. I, I did not have quote unquote a problem. Let's get that <laughs> out of the way. Did not. Kenny's gonna. Kenny's probably gonna hear this maybe and then come at me. So no, Kenny, totally respect your victory. I just thought it was it was uh you know Kenny's he's in house he's oh, see, don't let see there you go there you go no, Kenny no, don't no, let no, don't I let say, I had a problem just saying that it wasn't you know the actual media it was a media conduit Kenny media don't conduit. let Murph don't let don't let Murph Kenny if you're listening don't let Murph take away that give you give you that shade it's not going to happen here not on our watch all right um when we get back special interview um. Couple of shows ago, we talked about uh, the uh, bill uh, or one of the bills that's going through the uh, Florida State Legislature on uh, allowing players, uh, college athletes specifically, to uh, get their uh, to make money off their name and likeness outside of team activities. Uh, that time, we actually uh, spoke with Representative Chip Lamarca and Darren Heitner. Representative Lamarca, obviously a Republican. This time, we talked with. The uh, Florida House Minority Leader, Democrat from South Florida, Keani McGee, on his perspective on this bill, and a chance that and a chance to have some bipartisanship on what is becoming a big issue in college sports. Stick around; the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here, and uh, a quick note as we uh, as I'm about to present our interview with. Uh, House Minority Leader Keani McGee on uh, SB 251, uh, the uh, name and likeness bill that's moving through the uh, Florida legislature. Uh, I wanted to apologize just real quick up front for some of the audio quality on my end. It had a little bit of an unforeseen technical issue that I didn't find out until post. Um, So I sound like I'm on a phone call, but uh, Representative McGee uh, sounds uh, just fine. So 
I just want to give you guys a little heads up in case uh, in case you think it sounds squirrely. It's not you. It's me. All right. Here's the interview with House Florida House Minority Leader Keani McGee. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, and we're continuing our look at this NCAA name and likeness issue within the state of Florida. And you'll recall a couple shows ago, uh, we had Representative Chip Lamarca and Darren Heitner on to talk about uh, HB 287, which was the Republican bill that's moving through the Florida legislature. Uh, and with the help of Chad Short, we've also uh, got the guy who's in charge of, of the Democratic bill that's moving through the Florida legislature. He's a native of Miami, representing the 117th House District, which is down in Miami-Dade. He's done so since 2012. He is also the House Minority Leader in the Florida State Legislature. He's an author, college professor, graduate of the Thurgood Marshall School of Law at Howard University. Keani McGee joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Representative McGee, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Hey, I'm great, Jeff. Thank you, man. When you were giving that description about your, your caller, man, I, I had to look at myself and say, is that, is that really me or, or is that somebody else he's talking about? <laughs> Well, I appreciate you coming on board, and 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 this is this is such an interesting issue. You've got and you certainly got the chops to uh, uh, to sort of shepherd us through it. Uh, the the bill that you uh, introduced into the legislature on September 30th is HB 251, which, according to the uh, Florida uh, House rep, uh, website, authorizes students participating in intercollegiate athletics to receive specified compensation, provides requirements for specified students, post-secondary educational institutions certain organizations and, spe and specified representatives and creates the Florida College System Athlete Name, Image, and Likeness Task Force. So from where you stand as a Democrat in the Florida House, uh, on the other side of the aisle from Representative Lamarca, you guys, you guys are both worked on the same issue. Why is this legislation a good idea in your opinion? Well, well, let's 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 back up first, and thank you, Jeff. Again, this is one of the most this is one of the best opportunities I've had in a long time to really get with someone who understands this issue very well, such as yourself. But I just want to make it absolutely clear: this is not a Democratic bill, and I do not believe uh, Rev. Lamarca is actually pushing for a Republican bill. What we're doing, and we're saying the exact same thing: we're, we're calling for fairness. And when you call for fairness, we don't care whether or not you black, white, Hispanic, Asian, uh, gay, straight. Uh, if you're Republican or Democrat, we simply want what's right for these college athletes. And right now, these college athletes are in a position where they can demand uh, a better reality for themselves and their families when they're actually giving up the better part of four entire years of their lifetime in order to make to the tune of $1 billion a year. The, uh, the, the key difference, now I've read both bills, and they're actually, even for a layperson like me, surprisingly readable. Um, you're, uh, the bills are only about six or seven pages long. Um, and, uh, and the key difference from what I was able to determine is the creation of the task force. What's the purpose of that task force? Well, look, like everything else, we can't do anything into a vacuum, right? So my, the reality of it is, is the task force is to make sure that we have some sort of oversight to make sure the suggestions those who are actually going to be affected, that they can have a say at the table. Because what we don't want to have is, you know, elected officials just going around rampantly making decisions on behalf of chancellors and the college systems and, and athletic administrators and, and athletes not knowing and not taking into account what they truly want. And right now, that's the best way to have it. I can describe it in two words. It's diversity of thought. It's diversity, uh, you know, three words, actually, diversity of thought. 
And that's what's going to make this bill one of the best bills, similar to exactly what California did. Without the diversity and thought, we find ourselves chasing our tail. We find ourselves in a one-man show, and that is not the intent of this bill. The intent of this bill, diversity of thought, that's why we need this task force. But we also need the task force to make sure that this is something that the college presidents uh, the, uh, uh, and the college athletes, that they understand it's, it's going to benefit them in the long run. We have the text of the bill. We're going to, I'm going to put it in the show notes, and we're also going to put it on our page on the website so that you can look at it. And, again, like I said earlier, shockingly readable for, uh, for a layperson like me um, to, uh, to sort of digest. Um, this looks like, uh, like we said, a rare opportunity for bipartisanship in the Florida legislature. What is it that you, got, that you have found is, is really the, what brings both of the parties together on this? But look, this is, this is America. We're talking about democracy and we're talking about um, capitalism. And you know deep down and what capitalism is built upon is the reality that we need a fair market and a free market. In order to understand the free market and the fair market, you first have to give people an opportunity to participate. And once they participate, then you have to give them an opportunity to own what they believe is their rights. And then what we're calling for in this particular instance is if a person has a name, a likeness, or image, and it belongs to him or her, especially if you're a student, then why should you be prohibited from actually participating in the free market? And why should you be participated? Why should you be prohibited from actually being uh, shunned away by, by an organization that's making a billion dollars off your name? I think it's fundamentally wrong to suggest that we ask these students to participate in an educational system that is premised upon a capitalism belief and tell them that they can no longer participate in it because they've chosen to do what they love, and that is to participate in the sport. So, this, and, and I, I agree with you on that on that sense too. Like from you know from my perspective, I was never a college athlete, but you know I knew college athletes and obviously know them from now. And you know when I was in school, I had the opportunity to, especially in the age of the internet now, I had the ability to. It, it was a lot easier for me to become an entrepreneur for myself. And in fact, the website that this podcast appears on is a good example of that. Where if I was a college athlete at the time and I produced this website, I would, I could possibly, it, I, I don't know, it, 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 would, it would have to get into a little bit, of, a little bit of negotiation, but I could possibly, you know, have lost my eligibility if I was, you know, if I was making money off of my name, image, or license. Now, the key distinction here is, is that the bill also provides for that name, the, the use of the name, image, and likeness outside of, from what I understand, are team activities. Is that correct? So if I get my picture taken, if, if my name, image, or likeness is used in an ad, let's say, uh, and, but it, then I could be compensated for it. But if it's for, say, the team picture, I couldn't then go to the university and say, hey, where's my cut of that team picture? Is that correct? Yeah, and so and, and so, let me, let me just put it in, in perspective here. Think of think of this as thing, as Sanders, and you made a great point about had you been a college athlete at the time of you producing this podcast, you would have been in a position to make a decision whether or not you you're going to forego your scholarship or you're going to follow your, your your dream, which is built upon your gifts, right? Because obviously you're a great communicator and you're a great person who the public looks to for information. So we, can, we don't have to look that far either, right? We can look at Donald De La Hoya from the University of Central Florida, right? Remember, he was forced, forced to make a decision between his YouTube channel, which has absolutely nothing to do with the NCAA, and his athletic agreement, which was the scholarship. 
So he had to make a decision on what he just wanted to do. Now, that's a, that's a, a better life should have to be forced to make, which has a detrimental effect on his family and his viability down the road to provide for his future family, i.e. wife and children down the road. So at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. So I'm there with you. As it relates to the name and identity and the likeness and the image, think about the mom and pop stores that are back in your district, back where you live, who simply can look at one of these students and say, oh, my God, you know, I watched Jeff grow up playing football, soccer, uh, softball, and, and all of a sudden they want you because you, you have such a huge following because of who you are and, and your credibility and reputation. And they come to you and they say, Jeff, can you, can you simply look at my store, uh, this, you know, my, 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 my fruit stand, and put it on your social media page and, and talk about, right? Talk about the fruit. What's wrong with that, Jeff? Like, there's something fundamentally wrong when a, a small business, a fruit stand owner, cannot use a kid who grew up in a neighborhood to actually communicate the message on his or her YouTube page and or Instagram and receive some form of compensation. So that's what this bill really goes at the heart of. It is a, it, it, it's, it's an atrocity. It is a, it is a, I'm not getting very excited, but it is, it is, it is absolutely wrong to prevent that small business fruit stand owner from having an opportunity to participate in a billion-dollar industry each and every weekend of the year, while other major organizations can. And, and, and so that's why, I'm saying, that's why I'm saying this has to be addressed in a way that requires that task force. We need time to iron out the differences and the kinks. That's why we need to into 2023 when everything comes back in, and that's why we have to have a uniform system across the entire nation, which mirrors California. And I think anything that comes before that takes an opportunity to put us to set us back because it's going to create more chaos and more division amongst an issue of, you know between an issue that really shouldn't be divided upon about you know race or or um, political parties or, or or what you truly believe in or what you don't believe in this is a black and white issue this is it's black and white because there's a contract between the student athlete and the university for a college scholarship and return the student produces what he or she does best, that is, after their abilities. And secondly, this bill will look at the party and say to them that, listen, we want to do the right thing. You've had umpteen years to get it right. You haven't gotten it right, and we're going to help you get it right. That's all we're doing. So let me play a little devil's advocate here. Uh, I got a buddy who's Mr. So does that mean? So does, does, does that mean I'm God? So my buddy is Mr. Cynicism out here when it comes to, when it comes to politics, okay? And he said, and, and I told him all about this, and he said it, this interview and, and us following this issue, and he says, you know, why are these legislators grandstanding about college sports? Why are they bothering with college sports instead of really doing their jobs? And so your rebuttal, what is your answer to, to those of us, and unfortunately there are a lot of us who are pretty – I guess cynical about politics these days. What, what's your answer to those who are cynical about uh, about the, the Florida legislature tackling this issue? Well, listen. At the end of the day, we're public servants, and when you speak of public servant, you have to understand that the word public servant is premised upon the word service, and the word service does not mean that you have to get paid or earn some sort of political stripes in order to do what you need to do. The only requirement to be a public servant is to have service and to have the mindset to deliver service and to protect those who simply need to hang. This is not about grandstanding. This is about, we, we, this is about us, the NCAA, and saying you promised us years ago 
that you would deal with this issue. You promised us that you would protect those children and those, um, those families who simply believed in you when you told them that you would make this right. We're also, and so when we come to the table, we're coming to the table not to grandstand, but we're coming to the table to say, either you're going to get it right now or we're going to use the powers that the 20 million people of the state of Florida have granted us, the power to represent them in a the state capital that has 67 counties, uh, 67, 67 counties in the entire state representing over 20 million. And, and we simply stand in the gap and say we're going to represent these people because they've chosen us to represent them, and this is what they're calling for. They're calling for change, and we have the pen, we have the ink, we have the paper, and we're prepared to use it on behalf of 20 million people in the state of Florida. We're talking about over 460,000 athletes, right? And we're talking mm-hmm. about in tune of uh, billions of dollars. So if we don't stand up for them against uh, organizations such as the NCAA, then who? So what's the next step with this with this bill? Where is it now, and where does this whole process go from here? Well, we have two steps. Number one, we have committee, and number two, we have session. But I am I am I am a um, a, a man of realistic hopes and and dreams, and and and, and I appreciate the system. I believe something is going to happen. I believe the state of Florida is not going to sit by while the free market. And, and while the free market is being tampered with and shunned and shunned away at these young student athletes, I don't believe anyone who understands the importance of having property rights because your name is technically, it is your property. Your image is your property and your likeness is your property. I do not believe there are people out there who would say no to someone using his or her property rights to uh, protect and, 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 and enhance its family's ability uh, to participate in the American dream, and that is simply having a right to earn a living um, when that name and that image and likeness are being used. Well, it's already been referred to, I believe, like you said, two committees, Commerce and Education and the Higher Education Career Readiness Subcommittee. We'll be following this, uh, both HB 251 and HB 287, as they move through the process. And like you said, July 1st, 2020, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my watch, and I already can't believe we're already in October of 2019. So uh, this is going to happen really quick, one way or the other, So, and we'll be following it very closely. Uh, Leader McGee, before I let you go, just let us know uh, if, uh, if our uh, listeners would like to follow you and the process of this, uh, of this legislation, how can they do so? Oh, you can follow me on social media, uh, Keone McGee on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, man, they have so many different platforms out there, but just type in Keone McGee, and I'm the only one. It'll come up, and uh, we're going to make it do what it do. Uh, all the best uh, all the best with this legislation, and uh, I do hope that you'll stay in touch, and we'll be following it as it rolls along. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks again to uh, Representative Keone McGee helping us out with that. And by the way, um, earlier today, we're recording this on Thursday. Earlier today, Governor Ron DeSantis came out endorsing um, a bill. Uh, uh, that would uh, that would that would do exactly what we're talking about. Open up the uh, ability for uh, collegiate athletes to uh, make money off their name and likeness outside of team activities. Now, exactly which bill makes it through and uh, through the House and through the Senate and gets signed by Governor DeSantis? Assuming that happens, we don't know, but we'll be following that. And I want to thank special thanks um, to uh, a couple of people, Jackson Peel. Uh, with uh, with uh, with Leader McGee's office for helping us out, and also of course Chaz Short. Uh, make sure you follow him at CFB Asterisk. Chaz can't thank you enough for your help on this and in, in getting some in round rounding up some 
amazing interviews in uh, in some of our more recent shows. So this is an interesting uh, uh, thing. And again, the the big thing here is the fact that this bill uh, should whichever one passes, it's 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 set to um, open up the floodgates on July first of twenty twenty. Whereas the California bill, which was signed into law by Gavin Newsom, their governor, um, was set for 2023. So Florida is pushing this thing into overdrive, um, upcoming. So um, the NCAA might have some really big decisions to make in terms of, and we might see a pretty a pretty drawn out legal fight. I don't know, but uh, there's a lot to. But nonetheless, you still have to follow how the negotiations go and what bill actually comes out. Um, after they go through committee and then are sent to the House and then are sent to the Senate uh, for a vote. So stick around, and we'll be following that issue uh, as well. All right, we'll be right back in a little bit. We're going to uh, take a look at what's uh, the latest with uh, soccer and volleyball and a big win for UCF men's golf uh, this week. Uh, We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we wrap up uh, things going on uh, as we as we get ready to head to the weekend. Of course, thanks again to all of you um, listening in uh, a, a day later than we normally get it up, but we're going to try and catch up on the Olympic sports real quick. Um, first off, men's golf at the Tavistock Collegiate Invitational at Isleworth. This is the big Isleworth tournament. It's, the, 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 the fall is still kind of a, a feeling out period for the golf teams, but... UCF has gone to this tournament a bunch of times. They don't host it, but um, but for the first time ever, they won it. And boy, did they ever. 15-team field, 15 of the best teams in the country. Uh, and UCF, as a team, finished 20 under par and won the tournament by 14 total strokes. 10 of the 15 teams that tournament are in the top 50. And the Knights are number 16 in the country right now, according to GolfStat.com. Not only did they win the team competition, Johnny Travail of UCF, um, won the individual medalist uh, uh, competition with um, uh, shooting 12 under par in three rounds, uh, six under 66 in, in the uh, in, in the final round, the third and final round to win by one stroke over uh, Trey Winstead of LSU. So uh, some clutch work for UCF, a big win, and they have now won two of their four tournaments that they've entered into this year and haven't finished any worse than fifth. Uh, in any one tournament, so this is a this is a big win for uh, for men's golf, uh, Eric Lopez, wasn't it? You know, it's big when your golf tops the three stars list. That's yes. on our blackandgoldbanneret.com. It's coming out Friday from last week. That's how big it is. It's good times being had. It's a great week of golf. Tiger Woods competing in Japan in the PGA Tour. UCF winning Tavistock. We're the golf capital of the world in Central Florida. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and a big, this is looking to be a big year oh, yeah. for Bryce Waller and the guys. So, speaking of big yeah. years, men's soccer continues their role. They played their fourth consecutive overtime game at UConn, and they got another victory, and it was another golden goal for uh, for your guy, Eric. Gino Vivi, he did it again. 2-1 to one UCF getting the victory at UConn, and the Knights are 3-0-1 in four uh, in their last four games, all of them going to overtime. Uh, and it was a big win for UCF, the 300th all-time. But more importantly, Eric, the Knights got some help in the league race because Memphis beat SMU 4-3 to in overtime. 
And right now, the Knights, say it out loud, they are uh, in first place in the American all by their lonesome. Significant because, you know, we were talking last week about who would blink first and things like that. Well, SMU blinked first, losing to Memphis. And UCF took advantage with the win in Connecticut. They've got to go to South Florida Saturday night, big game, 7 o'clock, um, to try to maintain that lead and set up a showdown. Memphis is in second right there in the mix as well. UCF last home match will be November 1st against Memphis. That's looming big right now. Yeah. Um, a lot on the line. You know, I'm working on We're going to try to get Travis Clark, actually, of top drawer soccer on a future episode here, maybe as soon as next week, because they have begun – I was talking to him because they've done their projections. And UCF's in a, gr a great opportunity here, Jeff, where they literally, after Cincinnati, the last regular season match, uh, which I believe is – I forget November the date 5th. right now. Thank you. If they were to win the regular season title in the American, there's a very good chance after that match at Cincinnati, that would be the last time UCF gets on a plane – until potentially the College Cup wow. in December in Cary, North Carolina, because they've got a shot to be a high enough seed come the NCAA tournament if they take care of business to where they would host throughout the NCAA tournament. I hope to get Travis on to discuss that in um, perhaps next week's episode, be exchanging emails. But that's how significant those results are, and that's why these next three matches are pivotal. And a really tricky one with South Florida. That's a big rivalry. South Florida is tough to beat in Tampa. So, I, you know, we'll see what happens there. But it's all in UCF's control right now. Well, they're 9-1-2 overall, 3-0-1 in the American, number eight in the United Soccer Coaches poll, and top drawer has them six. Most importantly, I think, is the RPI. Now, they dropped a spot by virtue of playing Connecticut. Connecticut's not having a very good year. But I imagine UCF is going to at least hold, maybe jump a spot over these last four games um, because they are playing, um, two of them are against teams in the RPI Top 50. Their next one is is at South Florida uh, on uh, Saturday. Massive game. Massive game at the Bulls. Um, they come uh, UCF then comes home for two. They play Stetson on the 29th. And before you scoff at Stetson, they're tied for first in the Atlantic Sun right now. They're the, uh, they could win the A-Sun tournament. They're, yeah, they're, they're pretty yeah. good. Even though their RPI is at 104, which is high for an A-Sun team. Um, then there's that November 1st game at home against Memphis. Memphis's RPI is 23, and then the Knights finish at Cincinnati, uh, who's kind of struggling. RPI of number 102, but you can't sleep on the road, especially it's going to be cold up there, too, for that game. So um, so with four games left before the tournament, UCF really does control its own destiny. And, uh, um, wow, like I said, this is – this is starting to get – you're going to have to start paying attention if you haven't done it now because um, this team is getting some getting some work done. Um, women's soccer, uh, on the other hand, um, they have hit – I don't know what's going on over here, but, they, they, but their last two games have resulted – have not been the results that I know that, that, that we all know that they've won. They're 8-2-4 and four right now, 3-1-2 in the American. But – those two draws have happened in the last two games against Temple and UConn. Neither of those teams particularly good. At least Temple's RPI is in the 200s. Uh, UConn is in the 100s. But um, this was this felt Eric like a real missed opportunity for uh, for UCF uh, women's soccer because their RPI dropped from 67 all the way down to 90 by virtue of those two scoreless draws. So 
right now with three games left in the season at ECU, at Cincinnati, and then home for South Florida. The only well, game that has any real RPI significance for them is that South Florida game on the last day of the season. Um, and it looks like they're if they're if they're going to get into the NCAA tournament right now. If you're going by RPI, they're going to have to win the uh, the American Athletic Conference tournament outright. More than likely, they're going to have to get their uh, win the tournament, and probably the best way to do it is try to get at least that second seed, so you don't have to play an extra match. That's a possibility. Now, I do have good news since we'll spoil this, Murph. We're going to spoil this for Jeff on Thursday night. UCF did finally get they got the win at ECU one nil. Kristen Scott with a goal in the 57th minute. Ah. Uh, breaking the a long drought. They were talking about 270 some minutes without a goal, and you know I was there for the two home draws. You could tell they were pressing a little bit offensively. They dominated both matches. They just couldn't put it behind the net. And after a while, and Murph, we've talked about this with baseball, and I think soccer is just just as much of a mental game as baseball. And a hitter who you know could be hitting 350 the whole year, and all of a sudden, you know, goes a couple games without a hit, and now they get into a slump and they lose confidence that quickly. And it's the same thing with soccer players, Murph, in sports. You can lose confidence a lot quicker than gaining it. Yeah, I, I I guess so. I just don't see that so much in soccer because every match is, you know, one play can decide any match. You know, whereas baseball, there's a series of plays. You know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a if it's an offensive, it's offensive score fest, then you got to keep up. But really, you go into every match going, you know, only needs really like one goal in scoreless ties to get us back on the right track. And so, I, it is a little more, you know, uh, befuddling that this is happening to this team at this time. Because you know it's not like they should be down on themselves. These are these are scoreless ties. Only yeah, one. But, the pro- but the, when you have so many opportunities at the net and keep either missing wide, you hit the post, which is kind of what happened in the Temple match where Temple was playing back, basically conceding shots, and you can't get it through the net. It gets frustrating, and it's almost. I compare the Temple match a little bit, Jeff. You might like this comparison. You're a long. You're a New Jersey Devils fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Remember when the old nine mid nineties they used to play the trap and everybody yep, hated the neutral it? zone trap. Yep. And no, and why? And explain to the audience because I'm not a I'm not a hockey guru like you. I explain why that offenses hated that and and a lot uh, playing that against the trap. Well, what they did was they, they it, it, the way it ended up was that they just couldn't get the puck up the ice, and uh, the way you would work it is is just kind of trap the puck with your defenseman, kind of move them up a little bit. Uh, and then you would also use your forwards kind of in a defensive posture. And when that happens, you know, obviously you're, you're, the whole idea is to try and cause cause some kind of a turnover and get possession. But what you're really doing is just frustrating the offense completely. And um, and coaches and fans, they, they ended up basically adjusting the rules. And, um, and that was part of the reason why they got rid of the red line was to try and get in hockey, at least was to try and get rid of that neutral zone trap. Um, and you know, since then the, the devils haven't won a Stanley cup since 2003. <laughs> so, uh, so that'll, wow. so that'll, that'll do it, you know, but, um, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of an example. It doesn't make for a very exciting game. That's the most important no. thing on it. And so Temple has a similar philosophy where they play defensively back. They don't allow you to get a clean shot. Like they're going to put it. They're going to they, 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 the reference that was used by Bridget Callahan on the broadcast was park the bus. They're going to play all their bodies back. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's what they use, and they're not going to let you get a clear shot. And you can take all the shots you want, but it's not going to be a clean shot. And we're going to frustrate you with that. And unfortunately, UCF couldn't break through. 
on those two home matches, but they did it against East Carolina. How about this? UCF this year, on the road now, 6-0-1 on the road, whereas at home, 3-2-3. Three, three. That I can't get that. I, I That is bizarre. I, it, it's so strange. But, um, but nonetheless, I mean, like you said, well, they got the win over ECU, so now with two games to go, against third-place Cincinnati on the road, but Cincinnati's RPI number 145. And then, obviously, Halloween night against South Florida, RPI number 29. So uh, we're going to have to monitor how, how that goes. Of course, South Florida's been the bugaboo for UCF the last few years. Beat them in the championship game in PKs a couple years ago at UCF. Um, forced them into a draw. Been, UCF's lost some heartbreakers to the Bulls over the time, so... Um, so it's going to be uh, so. Can UCF return the favor on Halloween night? We'll have to see uh, as the Knights get ready for it. You know, four draws, by the way, that's a lot in the regular season. What was I don't even know the last time they had that many. I'll have to look it up. But um, all right, volleyball. I want to move on to this. The road trip they just went on is the toughest road trip in the American at Wichita State at Tulsa. Tough because not because so much of the teams, although Wichita State is traditionally good. But tough because that's a long way to be traveling out there. And UCF, lo and behold, uh, wins both matches. They beat uh, Wichita in four, and then uh, they went and, and then they <clears throat> beat Tulsa in three. <clears throat> uh, McKenna Melville had double-digit kills in both games. And how about Ali Sable, who has filled in admirably in the absence of uh, of Catherine Westlich, um, and uh, had double-figure kills against Wichita State. Um, and uh, Lachey Harper, who had 10 block assists and 10 digs. She's just been playing so well this year. It's great to see Lachey. She's been, you know, she's finally totally healthy, and she looks like it. Uh, she made the honor roll for the conference this year. And UCF Volleyball right now is 7-1 in the American, tied for first in the East Division with Cincinnati, who Cincinnati does have a match in hand, but these two teams will play again one more time. Uh, and the Knights, most importantly, are still in the RPI top 40. They moved down five spots, but they are at number 34 right now in the RPI. So um, so that is something to keep an eye on as uh, UCF Volleyball heads into this home stretch. Five of their last eight are at home, by the way, as we head down, as we head down this stretch, including this weekend against Houston on Friday and Tulane on Sunday. Um, and uh, And by the way, after that, war on I four time, Eric, Eric and Brian on Friday, and you want to be there for that because November the first, that is Alumni Weekend for UCF volleyball. So we're going to see a lot of old friends there as well. It should be a a fun weekend uh, coming up. Next three matches at home: Houston, Tulane, and South Florida. It's going to be big. And then, by the way, the night's last shot against a second shot against Cincinnati occurs November the tenth on a Sunday. That's the uh, home. That's the home regular season finale and senior night so that should be a big one um as well all right so we caught you all up on everything going on make sure you check out the nightcap where we uh give you the latest on all the olympic sports going on on ucf and of course eric's three stars uh, as well where we um tout the three best performances uh of the week from uh from ucf's olympic sports uh and with that we go to brian murphy and figure out what's on tap for him this week when are you, are you flying up to philly murph uh, so as of as of recording this, my flight leaves in about seven hours. Oh, fantastic! So, yeah. So you I, need to go. To, gotta, you gotta need gotta to get, get to sleep. Early. 
<laughs> well, a... I haven't even packed, so I'll be up all night. Ah, uh, yeah. But no, I'll be up in Philly uh, tomorrow morning, basically. Well, Thursday or Friday morning, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, I do have to send in my answers for uh, the roundtable that's put together by Jeremy Brenner. Uh, I need to do that tonight because I know that's going to be posted on Friday, and then I will also uh, be uh, I will also be uh, posting my uh, UCF checklist or whatever you call it. Uh, against uh, Temple, things to look out for uh, in this game against the Owls. And then I will be live from the link on Saturday night. All right. And uh, let's see, what else do we have coming out from you uh, there, Mr. Lopez? I will be on that aforementioned roundtable. I already sent mine in. So they... <laughs> that's what I heard. That's what, that's what I heard. So I figured I better hurry up. I beat you to the rush there. So we have that. The three stars, we... Uh... Mention one of them on this episode. We'll find out who the others are. That'll be also be published, I would assume, Friday, uh, on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, so we're going to cover that. And then, you know, like I said, we're going to see how it goes. A big UCF Temple game. It, it's really the going to decide a lot of things. So we'll see how that goes. And then men's soccer, we're going to keep track of that. They're going to be in Tampa against USF. So uh, we're going to monitor all that situation. We're going to try to get you ready for the postseasons and the Olympic sports and the football side of things and uh murph i mean by the way real quick baseball at auburn february 21st through the 23rd auburn announced their baseball schedule that's a big one right there for greg lovelady right big road series yeah Yeah, well it's part of the it's part of like the home and home remember uh auburn was in here was it last year or the year before i'm forgetting last year last year they were they were here played a wild three-game series yeah that's right. They had actually they had Will Holland, who at the at the point Will Holland, the shortstop from Auburn, was seen as like a top ten draft pick. I believe he fell into like the third round this year. Uh, did not have a good year at the plate. Uh, looked like a small Chris Bryant to me, but that obviously not true. Uh, that's why I'm not. That's why I'm not MLB scout. But now I'm just getting too deep into the weeds. Let's not talk about who San Diego hired as their manager today. Oh, uh, Jeffrey but, yeah. was fantastic. No. So, so, the, so the Padres no. hired this guy named Jace Tingler, who apparently was on the Rangers staff. I'd never heard of him. So this, news, so this news breaks around 10.25, 10.30 in the morning as Murph's picking me up to go to media day. Mm-hmm. Murph's been hyping this Padres job for for like how many months? They're like the last couple you were of throwing, months. You like, were throwing out Madden going to the Padres. Right. That's what you Joe thought he was. No, anybody who's anybody should want that job. Well, yeah, are you saying that because it's in San Diego, or are you saying that because it's the Padres? No, 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 no. Like that farm system is loaded. That front office has shown that they will pay for things, even if even if it's unwisely to pay for things. And they've got some talent now that's ready to play, obviously, with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. And then, and then they hire a Rangers bench coach who really has kind of come out of the blue. And I know people are like, "Well, he's well respected." Yada yada yada. What are you doing? No. No. Jeffrey, you need Jeffrey, within five harsh. minutes of me telling him about the hire, he basically fired Tingler already. <laughs> wow. You needed like a Buck Showalter or, or a Ron Washington, someone who could go in there, has knows how to win to sort of set the culture, and then when the team is good enough to compete, that's when you fire that guy and bring in your analytical – little guy who can you know put everything together but you need someone to set your culture you don't have any of that you need someone who knows how to win you don't have that you have chase 
Tingler, what? Get out of here! Oh man, he's gonna be fired so quickly. I just, I, I just like the name Jace Tingler. I, 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 you I don't know what it is. Everybody loves it. I'm sure all the scribes <laughs> down at the Union Tribune are loving it. I, I give them a lot of credit, but this, it's not. That's just a bad move. Um, now. I feel like you've been that's been building for like 12 hours since the hire. Like that's been building for you. I feel like you finally released it. I feel well, like you'll feel why, better. Here's why I can do that now. Literally, this podcast has been going on for more than an hour and a half once we put in the audio clips. <laughs> so I figured that all the audience is tuned out, and I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go rant on the Padres at this point. Um, it, so to prevent you from doing that, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, please check out Derek Warden's latest photo gallery from the ECU game. It is phenomenal. He's just. I mean, it, it, it's it, it, it's it's so fantastic. The stuff that Derek has been doing here on uh, uh, for get for us on this photography, I am eternally grateful for the work he's been doing because he's just been absolutely fantastic. Check it out at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for UCF Athletics. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret as well. Uh, and uh, and of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, Follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Gentlemen, thank you once again. Appreciate you. Murph, safe flight up to Philly. And uh, don't forget, also, we'll try and wrangle up the troops for, uh, for, uh, the, for a night shift after the Temple game uh, on Saturday as well. Sorry we didn't get around to it this time, but everybody, nobody was available, and it would have been just me. But uh, that's what happens when there's night games. Night games are. I know. We can say we can announce that the next home game for UCF football is a noon kickoff. The space game is a noon kickoff. Yes. That that makes nobody happy but us. But I am thrilled. I, you know what I'm thrilled about? I'm I'm thrilled about first of all those uniforms that came out this week. Oh my god, they're amazing! And the return of the Citronaut, baby. I got my Citronaut shirt and hat. Good for you. Canaveral blue, brother. It's happening right now. I'm so proud. I, I, I'm so happy. I can't wait to do that thing every day. So as we wrap up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will catch you on Night Shift on Saturday night after the Temple game. Catch you later.